In Gum on Windy Mountain, Gum was still inside his little eggshell, sheltered from all outside it. In the riddle and the rune, it began to crack, exposing him for the first time to the world. But it wasn't until the crystal stirred that it broke, and he became aware of more. Everything outside Ulm, and the shades of grey that exist between black and white. Gom has never experienced true friendship. Throughout the book he seeks it, but remains unsuccessful. Essie and Carrick are mentors rather than friends, giving more to Gom than he could ever return. Stormfleet is a good friend, but a horse. What Gom longs for is human friendship. He thinks he's found this in Matt, but Matt turns out to be a false friend, using Gom to his own selfish ends, taking but giving nothing in return. Gom has finally left his eggshell, but his feathers are still wet. However, before long, they'll be dry. And quite a bit ruffled, too. The Crystal Stair Chapter 1 They climbed the narrow winding path single file. Haga first, then Gom, striking his staff into the ground to propel himself up. Stormfleet followed, the irregular clop of the colt's hooves muffled by thick deadfall on the forest floor. Mossy trunks, like pillars of some primeval fortress, tilted toward a canopy of distant branches that swayed and creaked like old bones. Gom heaved a satisfied sigh. All those years of wishing for his mother, and here she was. Haga paused, looking back patiently waiting for him and Stormfleet to catch up. She was, he noticed as he reached her, not even out of breath. Gom was tired already, though it was but mid-morning. Not so much from the climb, he being a mountain boy, as from excitement at their meeting and the hour's walk to reach this slope. How much farther? Almost there, Haga's smile gave way to mild concern. You look pale. How's the head? She reached out, lifted his tangled hair to inspect the swollen gash on his temple from his fall in the Salahin stockade. I'm fine, he said, squirming. Ready for lemses. Lemses? At the word, a favorite of Stig's. Haga's eyes flickered. For a moment, 
Gom thought he saw hurt, or even anger. But then her long, solemn face cleared. Oh dear, you've not had breakfast yet, and it's nearly noon. Some mother I'm proving to be. She looked past Gom to Stormfleet, bared her teeth, blew her lips out with force, and addressed the Sito cult in his own tongue. We have to go a little farther up the tail end of this mountain spur. I hope you don't find the ground too troublesome. Stormfleet shook his mane. Thank you. When I do, I'll let you know it. Hager, laughing, patted his side. You do that, my young friend, she said, and moved on. Gom listened with great satisfaction to his mother conversing with Stormfleet in the Sito's own speech. He'd always thought that it was from her that his own gift had come. No other humans in the world beside them could speak the tongues of beasts, so Stormfleet said. Stormfleet trod somewhere near, cracking brittle needles under his hooves. Stig's walking stick, Gom's staff, which Gom had slipped under his arm in order to hug Hager, was now poking his ribs painfully. He shifted, trying to ease his growing discomfort without breaking that moment, but Hager pulled back, took a large brown handkerchief from her brown skirt pocket, and blew her nose with vigor. What a day! She stuffed the handkerchief back in her pocket. Come on, let's get you home. We have so much to talk about, and you look more in need of elevenses by the minute. She spun around, hitched her skirt above her high brown boots, and strode off again. Gom started after her, thinking. While Stig had grieved for Hager, until his dying day, it was becoming clear that Hager had missed Stig no less. Stig had never ceased to talk of her, and to remark proudly how Gom took after her in every way, not least in looks. Like you, son, his father would declare. You're her very double. Gom's lips parted suddenly. That this woman, with a long face, long bent nose, sharp eyes, and long brown hair coiled at her nape, was his mother, Gom had no doubt. But he recalled Stig sitting by the fire, his fair hair turned white, his limbs enfeebled with age. After all those years, she was still as Dick remembered her, aged not one whit. He eyed the small figure climbing sturdily before him. Was she not the greatest wizard in all Alm? That surely would have something to do with it. Nodding, he moved on. In the middle of the basin was a lake. In the middle of the lake was an island, a plug of sandstone cliff high as the tall, three-storied houses Gom had seen in Penlangoth. He scrutinized the cliff's flat, bare top, 
the sweep of wooded shore, but saw no sign of dwelling. Where? Hagar pointed to the island. There. Come on. She started down to the water's edge. As Gon hesitated, eyeing the waves from cliff to shore, Stormfleet pawed the ground uneasily. Gom stroked his neck in sympathy. I hate water, you hate heights, and here we are headed for a mountain lake. Courage! It's all very well for you to say. Stormfleet started down, grumbling. Haga was already waiting on the shore, or rather, off the shore, on a small log raft that bobbed in the waves. She beckoned them to join her. The raft will feel unsafe at first, my young friend, she warned Fisito. But in fact it could carry a dozen folk with no trouble. Nevertheless, Stormfleet watched Gom get on first. Only then did the cock step nervously across. The raft dipped and bobbed, awash with waves, and Stormfleet shied, but Hager and Gom caught him, held him steady until the bouncing stopped. Hager took up a long paddle and pushed off from the shore. Here, mother, let me. Gom set down his staff and reached to help. Hager shook her head. I'm used to it. Thank you. Gom stood stiffly, looking out, dashed at her refusal. But as they neared the cliff, he was glad Hager had taken on the paddling, for it gave him chance to take a good first view of his new home. Hager's aim all along, he'd bet. He relaxed, drawing in the high, clear air, while Hager paddled and pulled away beside him. By the time they moved under the lee of the island cliff, he was cheery again. The yellow sandstone face Gom saw was pocked with holes, the sort that swallows nested in. Sure enough, just then, a brown bank swallow swooped out from one, caught an amber damselfly, and darted back again. Hager followed the island around to the western side, where Gom got a surprise. The cliff was not the solid plug it seemed, but hollow, like a crescent moon, bounded by a strip of sandy shore. Behind the shore curved a hedge of dark green holly. Was Hargis house behind that? Gom helped beach the raft, then eagerly pushed his way through the prickly screen to the other side where he pulled up in surprise. Every inch of the level space from hedge to cliff was garden. Neat beds of vegetables and herbs, clumps of flowering shrubs, orchard, and beehives. The green of vegetables was splashed by bright flowers, 
lavender and lilies, stocks and daisies, and snapdragons, portulaca, poppies, and anemones, regardless of their proper season. Birds flew everywhere, and clouds of insects hummed through the heady air. Gom gazed about, minded of his brother Stock's vegetable patch, and his sister Hilsa's flower beds, and her hives, and recognized now Harga's influence. A wonderful garden indeed, but where was the house? He finally lit upon a low shed at the far side, with plain thatched roof, a narrow dark doorway, no door, and but a hole for window. A fat nanny goat sauntered out, bleated a lazy good morning, then put her head down to graze. Gom looked at the shed in dismay. That was it? Good morning, Jellifer, Harga called to the nanny goat. Jilly's been with me since she was a newborn kid, as her mother before her, she told Gom. Then added with a wave to the shed behind Jilly, That's my barn come dairy. Oh, Gom relaxed. And the house? Harga jabbed a finger triumphantly at the curving cliff. Why, there! Gom stared. You still can't see, can you? She laughed out loud. Good! Wizards don't like their houses to show, even under your very nose. See those holes? The small ones harbour swallows' nests. The larger ones? My windows! Come, see. But first, she turned to Stormfleet, let's make you welcome, friend. She led the cot to the orchard, to a patch of grazing watered by a quick spring. You'll be comfortable for a while. Stormfleet sampled the grass, then whiffled with pleasure. Take your time, don't mind me. This is good. Harga led Gom along a pebble path to a spot midway along the cliff base and pressed a crack waist-high in the stone. A narrow slab swung inward, a cunning door cut into massive sandstone wall. Harga stepped through, Gom after. The slab closed with a thock shutting out the lap of water and the noise of bird and insect, leaving them in sudden cool and quiet. At last Gom understood and marveled. The crescent cliff was hollow. They stood in a low cave spanning the width of the cliff from east to west. The morning sunlight beamed in through clustered holes in the opposite eastern wall, reflecting off blue-washed stone the colour of the summer sky. Gom crossed over, 
and looking out, saw waves dancing just below his feet. My front hall, Hager said. The rest of the house is upstairs. A narrow spiral stair cut into the far wall brought Gom up into a second-story passage that curved the length of the cliff on either hand. The passage was blue-washed like the rest of the house and flooded with light from doorways in both east and western walls. Hager took the one directly opposite the stairwell. Gom followed. Two paces in, he stopped, looking in astonishment on Hager's kitchen. Hung with pots and pans, lined with shelves for dishes and utensils, and jars of herbs and spices. A cave, transformed into Stig's cabin. Log walls and beams, stone hearth, and two small windows, even loft and ladder. Gom climbed the ladder and peered into the loft above, half expecting to find old sleeping pallets, relics of Stig's crowded family. But the bare-scrubbed boards smelled of root and apple. Hager's winter storage place under curving sandstone roof. You like it? Hager called. Come, see your room. She drew him back out into the hall, then led him right. Past the open doors, Gom glimpsed small chambers, more caves, all with scattered round windows letting in light, brilliant sunshine on the eastern side. So this was his mother's house. A stranger place than he could ever imagine. A wizard's house, and his too now. He thought of the years to come in this wonderful house, he and Hager, two wizards working their magic peacefully together. His face clouded. He was forgetting Katak. Could he speak of that now? He shot Hager a look. No, this was not yet the time. Gom's bedchamber was four doors down from the kitchen, on the same side, facing east into the morning sun. It was low and small, a comfortable space that put him in mind of the little lean-to in Horton Mudge's house. A bright red mat ran from the door to the most remarkable bed Gom had ever seen. Its carved headboard stood the height of the right-hand wall, not overly high, but massive enough in that small room. A carved wooden hoot-owl presided over the top rail in the angle between wall and curved ceiling, its small stern eye fixed on Gom. Not as good as Stig's handiwork, lacking the fine, sure detail that made Stig's animals spring from the woods seemingly alive, but well enough. The counterpane was a crocheted blanket, worked with suns and moons and stars, 
like the one Haga had given Stig. Gom set down pack and staff and tested the bed. It was soft and bouncy, with, he lifted the cover, smooth white sheets that smelled of lavender. Across the bed, in the outer wall, was a large oval window. Gom slid across the counterpane and, leaning into the deep sill, gazed into the high morning sun, to the ridge they'd climbed. A swallow shot past, making Gom jump, and alighted twittering shrilly in its hole somewhere above, telling, if Gom heard aright, of the human fledgling that had just flown into its mother's nest, and the strangeness of human ways. Smiling, he turned back into the room, to find his mother still standing in the doorway, watching. He felt a sudden awkwardness. You never wanted to leave us, did you? Haga shook her head. No. She advanced into the room, her face sad. She'd not had an easy time of it on Windy Mountain, gone knew. And after she left, Oak had condemned her for, as they were pleased to say, heartlessly abandoning her brood. Unfair. It had been hard enough to take his leave of Stock and Hilsa, and even Hort and Mudge. How much harder it must have been for Hager to leave her family of thirteen long years. Gom pictured her returning to this lonely place reshaping her kitchen cave into that cabin, thinking of Stig. She must have felt such a loss to have done that. At least, he thought, he and Stig had had each other. He seized up his staff and held it out. Father made this just before he died. Take it. Hager closed her hand upon it ran her thin brown fingers over the carved animals leaping and twisting about the stave. Snake and rabbit and turtle and mouse and pert brown sparrow perched on top. Then gave it back. Keep it, she said. It will make a fine wizard staff one day. Wizard staff? Gom's hand went to his chest. But, of course, the stone wasn't there. He'd returned his mother's magic rune hours since, and it was hanging at her chest now. Would he ever grow used to its loss? Haga drew him to the door. Come on! If you're a true sprig off the bush, you're starving! Your father always ate enough for six. As they turned to go back to the kitchen, Gom caught sight of another stair at the end of the passage going up again. Where does that lead? To my workshop, she said. Hager's workshop. Gom's heart did a little jig. May I see? Haga smiled faintly. Perhaps after you've eaten, young man.
I don't believe you'll need persuading.